If you would, let's go ahead and start with prayer before we go any further. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning and Lord, we just thank you that right now you, you hold planets in motion. Stars that you call by name are held in their place. Lord, everything that exists is sustained by you. And while you're holding a universe in place, we have your attention right now. Father, I just pray that you forgive us where we take that for granted. Father, that we can come to the God of all creation. And that, Father, you bid us to come and cast our cares on you because you care for us. And Lord, all I can do is think of David's words. Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him? And Father, I just thank you this morning for that wonderful grace. Father, I pray that, Lord, that as we cast our cares on you, you would give us faith to believe and to trust that you are big enough to handle it all. Father, it is our prayer this morning that you would be with Mr. Motter. Father, we would ask you this morning for, for healing in his body. Lord, we would ask you that, Lord, we would be able to come back together and give you Praise, Lord, corporately among all these voices, Father. Lord, I just, I just pray that You would give us the desire of our heart and give us more reason to come back and give You praise. And yet, Lord, as, as Your Son taught us to pray, nevertheless, not our will. Lord, Your will be done. Father, I know that if You heal a thousand times, there is coming a day when this mortal must put on immortality. And Father, I pray that no matter what you do, whether you give or whether you take away, Father, I pray for the Mater family, Lord, I pray that they would be able to bless your name. Father, I pray, God, that, Lord, that they would be filled with hope no matter what you do in this. But Father, you said we have not because we ask not. And so, Father, we're here this morning together corporately. We're asking you, Father, for mercy and for grace in Mr. Mater's life. Father, I pray this morning for Messina and for the treatments that she's going to have to have. And Father, I pray the same for her. Father, Lord, if it be your will, would you heal her? Father, would you just touch her body and would you just show her your mercy and give her your grace, God? And Father, I pray this morning for all of these that have been sick or still trying to recover from sicknesses. Father, I just pray this morning that you would have mercy on all of us. Father, I just pray that your healing hand would be on us. And, and Lord, I just ask you this morning to have mercy. Father, as we, as we get into Your Word, Father, it's my desire, it's my heart to simply stand before Your people and proclaim, thus says the Lord. Nothing more, nothing less. Father, simply this is what Your Word says. Father, no smoke, no lights. Lord, no entertainment. Lord, just simply this is what You say and this is how it applies to our life. Father, help us this morning to become more like Your Son. Help us to conform to His image and not be conformed to, uh, to this world. Father, help us this morning to hear from You and forever be changed by the truth that we hear. Father, we love You. Again, forgive us for our many sins. Lord, thank You for Your Son. Lord, I know that it's only because of Him that we have any place before You. And Father, it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to, uh, to turn them there and just stay in that passage of Scripture. All of my supporting texts, um, I, I, I do my best to get them to Nathan. If I say one and he don't get it up there, the fault does not lie with him, the fault lies with me, okay? So uh, just be patient with us, and, um, but I try to get all of the supporting text up here to where you can keep your passage to the main text. Um, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to, um, to follow along with me as we go through this. I began a series last week through the, um, the or not the gospel, but the, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And basically what we saw was that Paul was, he was writing to a very, I hate to say it this way, but I think it's the truth, to a very messed up church. A church that had lost their way in so many things. And so Paul, still loving this church, still knowing that 
even as messed up as they are, that they are believers of Jesus Christ. He writes to them to try to teach, to try to correct. And you can remember he dealt with things from uh, the pride of the wisdom of man to uh, who the best speakers were and who the greatest leaders were. And I belong to Paul and I belong to Apollos. And then they were forgetting how to love one another. Um, Instead of just growing the body of Christ, they were taking each other to court instead of helping each other solve disputes and work through issues. And and then uh, when they would have the Lord's Supper, it wasn't even the Lord's Supper anymore. It was just a a drunk fest is what it had become. And the Apostle Paul comes in and he says, what are you doing? Do you not have houses to go eat and drink in? You're, You're not waiting on the ones that are poor and and, and hungry, and instead everyone just jumps in front of his brother and they go and they take advantage and, and it's just selfishness. And, and so there was all these things that were going on. They were misusing spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts that they had, it done got so chaotic and out of control that all it was was just confusion throughout the entire body. And then Paul finally comes in in 1 Corinthians 13 and he says, guys, I don't care what all you do or don't do. If you don't do it in love, then what, what's the point? It's good for nothing. And then finally, after correcting in 1 Corinthians 14 of how a, a worship service ought to go and how things should look, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, he comes in and he says, Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. See, here's the problem. When things get out of kilter in our life and when things get twisted up and I'm not walking the way I'm supposed to walk, if I'm walking in selfishness and being self-centered instead of being Christ-centered, the problem always lies with me have forgotten the gospel in some way. This is the problem. The whole problem with why they were so worried about who was the most wise and they wanted an eloquent preacher and they wanted uh, to be of Paul or be of Apollos. The whole issue they were dealing with was that they had forgotten what Christ had done for them. And they had forgotten that they were sinners. And yet Christ came and He was was their substitute on the cross. He gave His own life. The chastisement that brought, our, that brought us peace was upon Him. And they had forgotten the love of God that was shown to them. And when you forget the Gospel and you forget what Christ has done for you, and you forget the hope that you have that centers you on looking toward that, not focused on this and what I have and what I don't have, or I'm trying to get something before somebody else, You look at the entire book of 1 Corinthians and the problem lies with what Paul addresses here in 1 Corinthians 15. You need a gospel reminder. And then he reminds them of the gospel. He says to them in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, he says, this is the gospel that I preach to you. This is the gospel that you received. In other words, I know when I preached it to you that you had the right gospel. And that gospel, if you skip down, we'll come back to this in a minute, but skip down to verse 3. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance, as of most importance. In other words, I didn't come to you with spiritual gifts first and saying this is what's most important in the church. I didn't come to you even with some eloquent sermon that made you come to Christ. No, when I came to you, all I preached was Christ and Christ crucified. That was it. And Paul says here, I came to you and I preached to you what was most important. And yet somewhere along the way, you have left the first importance and you have set your focus on all of these secondary things that are they important? Well, yes. Yes. These things are important. We we do want the wisdom of God from the Word of God in here. We want teachers who can do that. We do want preachers who can preach and you walk away here going, I understand that. Listen, I'm not one that likes to come to a church and hear a preacher and I walk out of here going, what in the world was he talking about? Somebody ought to say amen if you've been here very long. 
<laughs> but we all, those are things that, yes, it's not that they aren't important. It's not that it's wrong for you to have preferences and, and teachers and some of them you, you, some of them you actually get more out of than others. And that's not necessarily wrong. But when that's what your focus is on and you start dividing the church or you quit or you're not being Christ-focused anymore or the body of Christ-focused anymore and instead all you're focused on is self-centeredness and your preferences and what you don't like. Somebody came in here this morning and these songs, Chris, sung. listen, that's my preference. He sung, that last song you just sung is my favorite song out of every song that's ever been sung. I love that song. But some people I know came in here this morning and said, you know, that just don't really do it for me. And maybe, maybe the, is that necessarily wrong? No, that's not necessarily wrong. But here's the thing that I've learned. Those things are secondary to what, we, what is of first importance in this place. What is of first importance is that the gospel, whether it's in song, whether it's in word, no matter what it is, the gospel is the center of everything that we do. And that gospel he defines for us in verse 3 when he says this. <coughs> Excuse me. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Church, there ain't, there ain't nothing more important. Nothing. Christ died, and let's just change that. If you're reading it, you read it like this. Christ died for my sins. Christ died for my sins, and He did it in accordance with the Scriptures, exactly like He said He would. And next, that He was buried. In other words, there was no question about whether or not He died. He wasn't playing possum on the cross, and then when everybody wasn't looking, He went, ta-da! He died. He died and was buried. And then, that's not where it ended because can I tell you something? If all Jesus did was die, then you ain't got no hope. Because if all He did was die, then He was not who He said He was and He was a liar. Because He said in three days, I'm coming out of that grave. And that was the evidence that said God accepted the payment for my sins. You say, well, how does that make sense, Pastor? Well, what does the Bible say about the wages of sin? The wages of sin is what? Yeah. So this is the reason why when you die, if your sins aren't forgiven, death has every right to hold you. And you have no power over it. It can hold you and it has every right to hold you forever and ever and ever if God so wills. But if the payment has been paid, death has no right to hold it. When Jesus died and He paid that payment, the evidence that He had no sin, the evidence that His pay payment was sufficient was that God raised Him from the dead because death, it grabbed Him for a minute. But it couldn't hold Him. It couldn't hold Him. It tried everything to hold on to him. Death said, I got him. And then God said, no, you don't. It was impossible for death to hold him, is what Peter said in Acts. And he rose from the dead, proving that your payment was made and death has no right. And because he has been victorious over both sin and death, he has the right and the power to extend that to all to whom he pleases. And He's made a promise that all who are in Him, all who put their faith and their trust in Him, I, because I live, you too will live. John chapter 14, verse 9, I believe. He made a promise. He said that those who believe in Me, even though they die, yet they shall live. And those who believe in Me will never die. In other words, this body... Yes, it's mortal and it may go back to the ground and it's going to go back to the dust from which it was made. But you will never die. And that is the hope that we sing of. 
that no matter what comes, it's the song we sung last week, and I feel like I'm re-preaching last week, but that's okay, ain't it? Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know He holds the future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. Because He lives, the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the full gospel. And now, going back to verse 1 again, He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. And remember, that gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And He said, you received it. You received the good news that even though you are a sinner and you deserve an eternity of God's wrath, Christ died for you and you received it. And then you trusted and you believed that God raised Him from the dead and you have faith and you have hope. Faith is the full assurance of things hoped for. And because I have faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am filled with hope. And He says, you, were stand, you, were, you received this gospel. And not only that, He says, in which you stand in this gospel. So it's important you understand the gospel is not just something that, um, that you receive one time and then you just go on about your merry little way. Keep living the life the same way. No, the gospel is something you receive by faith and it changes you and it transforms you. And then it's something that day after day you keep standing in that gospel. When I woke up this morning, you know, my wife's not here this morning and we don't, I mean, we've been married 27 years, and y'all know there is no such thing as a perfect, sinless marriage in this world, right? Come on, can I get an amen from some husband or wife in here? Well, we got to arguing about something the other night, and we were so mad at each other, we went to bed. But I was facing that way, and she was facing the other way. <laughs> and we woke up that next morning and um, just acted like nothing had ever happened. Never really talked about it, never really worked through it, and uh, we just went on about our merry little way, and this morning we did the same thing. We got up, and we were just fine. But, you know, I sit here and I think to myself, I thank God that even though I fail so many times as a husband, as a father, as a worker uh, for the glory of God, I, I fail, and I, I'm, I'm still so flawed with sin. I thank God that the gospel and Christ didn't just die for my sins back in 2001 when He saved me. I'm thankful that even 20 years later that I'm able to stand in the gospel this morning. That I'm able to understand that, you know what? Yeah, that was stupid, childish. You literally went to bed after 27 years of marriage and she faced that wall and you faced that wall and y'all didn't say a word to each other. Childish. Stupid. And yet, I can sit here today and I can tell you that the reason why I still have hope and I'm not just defeated because of the sin in my life is because I'm still standing in this gospel. I'm still standing in it day after day after day. And then look what he says next. And by which, still talking about the gospel, and by which you are being saved. Not only were you saved back then, not only are you still saved today as you stand in it, but you're also being saved as you continue to stand in this gospel. You know, I'm so thankful that when Christ died for my sins, he didn't just die for those sins and said, okay, now as long as you don't sin anymore, I'll save you. No, I'm thankful that the Bible teaches me that when Christ died, He died for all of my sins. The Bible says, He perfected me. Hebrews chapter, chapter, nine, chapter 10. The Bible says, by His one-time sacrifice, He has perfected for all time, 
those who are being sanctified. So I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that day after day after day that Jesus, when He paid for my sins, He already knew the sins that I was going to commit from the time I was born till the time I died. And yet He didn't look at it and go, whew, that's, that's a little too much for me, brother. If I had known you was going to do all that, I would never have done what I did. No, I'm thankful today that He knew everything about me before I was ever born. And yet, He still gave His only begotten Son and Christ died for my sins. And notice what He says next. By which you are being saved. That next word is what? If. Oh, here we go. Y'all ready? If you are being saved, if you hold fast to the Word that I preached to you, unless you actually believed it in vain. Now this morning, I want to talk to you about the perseverance in the Gospel. See, when we read Scriptures like this, it may seem to you that this may be saying that if you stop believing, then you're going to lose the salvation that He purchased for you when He died for you and when He rose from the dead to give you new life. And that may seem like what you're hearing, but that's not. What this is, this is a warning. And the Bible is full of warnings, and I'm going to show you some of them this morning. And the warnings are not there to make you go, oh no, I had salvation yesterday, but today, oh, I lost it. So I got to get in here and I got to get it back. No, the Bible says that faith is the full assurance of hope. How can you have full assurance? And the Bible demands that you have faith. The Bible demands that you have full assurance. See, I struggle with a lot of these religions that teach it this way or these denominations that teach it that basically as long as you don't sin, then you'll keep your salvation. But if you do this, you just lost it. And now you got to get back in here and you got to get it back. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible gives warnings so that you and I will examine ourselves whenever we're not walking in faith the way that we should. Let me show you a few examples of this warning. Look at um, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. Take a look at what this says. He says, For we have come to share in Christ. And here's that next word again. If. Here's the evidence to know that you ever became a share in Christ to begin with. If we hold our original what? Confidence. Full assurance of faith. In what? In the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for me if I hold that confidence firm to the end, then it will prove that I indeed had come to share in Christ. That's one warning. Again, go with me to, first, uh, uh, to John chapter 8, verse 31. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, then you are truly My disciples. So what is the evidence that you were truly a disciple of Jesus? You abide in the Word. Now does that mean that a Christian never has any sins or never has any falls? No. Look at Moses. Look at David. Look at Noah. Look at, uh, look at Solomon. Look at, look at all of the greatest saints. David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. And yet this was a man that murdered his best friend so that he could have his wife. So let me tell you something. Abiding in Christ's Word does not mean that you don't have falls, that you don't even have great falls. But what it means is that you never have final, fatal flaws. There will never be a sin that comes into your life that takes you completely away from the original confidence that you had in the gospel. 
Somewhere along the way, in a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit is going to be working and tugging at you. And yes, that's why the Bible says don't grieve the Spirit. That's why the Bible says don't quench the Spirit. Because the Spirit is striving with you and working with you. And it is trying to lead you to abide in the Word of Christ so that it will prove that you truly are a disciple. This is the reason why John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, what? They would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now, does that mean that some of them may not one day come back and prove that they actually were? No, it does. It can mean that. But the point is this the evidence that you have faith and you have full assurance and confidence in the death, burial, and resurrection is that you continue holding on to that confidence. You continue standing in that gospel. You continue day after day being saved by that gospel. Day after day. But God uses all these warnings because according to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, look at this very plainly. In Galatians 6, verse 7, He tells us, do not... Deceive yourself. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. If you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. In other words, if all you ever do is continuously follow the flesh, then that means that you have not received the call of the gospel that you are a sinner under the wrath of God, but Christ died for you. And He's calling you out of that sin to follow Him and be His disciple. If that call is genuine on your life, then let me tell you something. There's going to be a transformation. There's going to be a change that takes place. And so He says very plainly, don't deceive yourself. Because you remember what Jesus said? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. What does that tell you about what they believed about their faith? If you call Him Lord, you must have thought you were with Him, right? Lord, Lord, did we, not, did we not heal the sick? Did we not preach the Word? Did we not do many, many things in Your name? And Jesus says, I'll look at them and say, depart from Me, you workers of iniquity. Did you catch the, the problem there? They were people who continued in their flesh. They, were, they had no heart for the Lord. They had no heart to truly follow God. They were just tares among the wheat is what they were. And so the warnings are here so that you and I, whenever we see that there is something there that does not belong, it's not to make us doubt whether or not I'm saved, whether I'm saved. It's to actually cause me to examine myself so that if genuine salvation is there, and if I truly am received the gospel and standing in the gospel, you know what I'm going to do when those warnings come? coming back to stand in the gospel where I belong. And so this is what he's talking about here. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. This is another warning. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. In other words, make sure that you're constantly looking at yourself and examining, am I in the faith? What do I mean by that? Am I trusting in Christ's sacrifice to pay for my sins? And am I at war with my sin because He's called me out of darkness into the light? And then He says, and be even more diligent to make your calling and your election. Because you remember what um, Jesus said when He told a parable, and I don't have time to preach that parable to you, but He said, many are called, but what? Few are chosen. Now what he's talking about there, simply put, is this. You remember the parable of the sower? You remember that man went out and he sowed seed all over the place, right? And that seed was calling many. But only few were chosen. And so we need to make our calling and our election sure. How do I do that? 
I examine myself to see whether I'm in the faith. Look with me at um, second, um, sorry, um, yeah, Second Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse five and six. The apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinthians in his in another letter, not the first letter, but in another letter he writes to them. And they are still caught up in sin. They haven't repented. Go read the end of chapter 12 if you want to see that. But they are caught up in all kinds of sins. Nothing has changed. He's done wrote to them and addressed them about reminding them of the gospel. And now finally, he writes to them and he says, okay guys, here's what you need to do. You need to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? that Jesus Christ is in you. And that's the question you need to look at yourself this morning and ask, church. Because maybe you have heard the call of God. But the question is, have you received the gospel? Is Jesus Christ in you so that you are following Him and you are a disciple of His indeed? You are looking to learn from Him because that's what it means to be a disciple. Listen to me, all you Christians Christians out there today. I don't mean to be demeaning to you, but I mean to be real with you because that's my job, right? And so listen to me if you are a Christian and yet you are not living as if you're following Jesus. You need to examine yourself because a disciple is someone who follows a leader or a master of some kind. And so if, if Steve were my mentor as a preacher or as a pastor, and I would become his disciple, then what I would do is I would follow Steve. I would learn from Steve. I would want to hear from Steve's teaching so that I can teach the way he teaches, preach the way he preaches, walk the way he walks, love the way he loves. And if you tell me this morning you are a Christian, but there has not been a transformation that takes place in your life so that you are a disciple of Jesus, then you have failed the test. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, examine yourselves, guys. And again, this is not to make you question whether or not I'm saved necessarily. We shouldn't be day after day going, Am I saved? No, I'm not saved. Am I saved? No, I'm not saved. I think what you should be doing is when you recognize that there is fruit in your life that is not evidence of you following the Lord Jesus, that is not evidence of Jesus being in you, the point of the warning is to say, wake up. you got to turn this thing around because what you're fixing to do if you don't if you don't walk in this gospel day after day after day and persevere in it all the way to the end, you are fixing to prove that you never had a share in Christ whatsoever. You say, put this in layman's terms, preacher. All right. Consider Noah. I've told most of y'all this before. Remember, faith is the full assurance of hope, right? Everybody, everybody look at me and go, right. Faith is the full assurance of hope. Hope comes, the only way you can have full assurance of any hope is when God's Word gave you that hope. Because no other word can you bank full assurance on, right? I mean, no matter what, I could tell my son today, son, right after church today, I'm going to take you to, um, to Kidsville and I'm going to let you play for the, the rest of the evening. And man, I'm going to tell you, that's going to fire him up. He's going to be full of hope. But can he put full assurance of that hope in me? No, because what if I take my last breath standing right here in this pulpit? I have no control over whether or not I can make an absolute declaration that this is going to happen. But God can and so Noah received a word from God. That word was this. Noah, the world is full of sinners including you. And you all deserve to die a horrible death. And I'm going to judge the world. But for those that trust me and those that follow me, I'll save you. And you know what Noah did? 
Noah said, God, I believe you. I believe your word. And it gave him full assurance of hope. You say, well, how do I know that Noah's faith was genuine, that he really had full assurance? Because he built an ark, just like God told him to. See, Noah didn't build an ark and he wasn't saved because he built the ark. Noah was saved because he believed God. And then Noah built the ark because he believed God. And so what else did Noah do? Noah went around the world preaching. Guys, the judgment of God is coming. The judgment of God is coming. Come follow Him and get on the ark. Get on the ark. But nobody believed except Noah and his family. And so again, when you look at your faith, you need to be able to see, is there evidence of genuine faith there? Am I really following the Lord Jesus Christ? Youth, listen to me. All you youth here this morning. I know that it's, we're taught today that just believe in Jesus and just accept Him in your heart and then you just keep living the way you want to live. You go out there and, and have um, uh, immoral relationships with your boyfriends and girlfriends and you can go out there and party because you're a teenager. God understands that, right? Can I tell you something? God's standard has not changed just because our standard has changed. And can I tell you that you will not as a teenager stand before God and go, but God, I was a teenager. Because the Bible says very plainly that God is no respecter of person, age, race. The fact of the matter is that if you are old enough to understand right from wrong and you are old enough to understand the gospel and understand who you are as a sinner, then you're old enough to stand before God and spend an eternity in a devil's hell because you did not believe. That's tough. But that's the truth. And so Paul writes to these people and he says, I preach the gospel to you. That Jesus died for your sins. That He was buried. That He rose from the dead. And He'll give you new life too. And you received it. And you stand in it day after day. And you are being saved by it if, if you hold fast to that confidence in the gospel firm to the end. If you keep the faith. This is the reason why when the Apostle Paul, when he was getting ready to lay his life down, he knew death was on knocking at the door and he said, I have kept the faith. In other words, I have I received the gospel, I stood in the gospel, I, I day after day after day, I trusted in the gospel. I kept the faith. I fought a good fight. And finally, finally, in other words, the hope that he's been waiting on, the hope that he's been focused on, so that he didn't focus on all the things of this world, and so he didn't focus on what somebody did to him or didn't do to him, or, or he wasn't focused on who the best speakers were, preachers were, or what kind of music they played in the church. The only thing he cared about is the gospel, the center of everything we do. Because if it is, that's when you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And that's whenever you humble yourself and you love your neighbor as yourself because you know what He's done for you. I love that song, first song that he sung there. He said that uh, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain of God's blood in his day. And there may I though as vile as He. Y'all catch that? That's why I raised my hand during that part. And there may I, though as vile as He, wash all of my sins away. And I'm telling you what, all I can do is look up and say, thank you, Lord, because that is so true about me. Man, I'm, I'm, my watch got me running this morning. I must be doing something good. 
All right. <clears throat> Next, <clears throat> I want to be able to look at the resurrection evidence. Skip down with me to verse 5. Because last verse 3 and 4 was what I preached last week about what the gospel is. This week was about the perseverance in the gospel, examining yourself in the gospel. And don't let me leave that yet. Guys, that's so important. Because like I said, the scariest verse to me in the Bible is that verse that says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not go to church? Did we not sing songs? Did we not teach Sunday school? Did we not preach behind pulpits? Did we not sit on the front rows? Did we not take notes in church? Lord, Lord, did we not? And he looks at them and says, depart from me. I never knew you. That is scary. That is scary. And so I believe when we look at the perseverance of the faith, I don't say that necessarily to just scare you, but I hope that you will examine yourself and you will be honest with yourself so that you don't deceive yourself. You know what it means to deceive yourself? To trick yourself. You know, we can convince ourselves that we're doing just fine, right? And yet there'd be nothing godly about us. And again, the good news is this. All you've got to do is get back in that gospel. All you've got to do is get back to that place where you say, Lord, I am a sinner. Remember that parable? The man stood in front of the temple. The old Pharisee standing over there and said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that man over there. But you remember what the tax collector said? Wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, but just beat his breast and said, Lord, forgive me a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. That man went home justified that day. And that's the same thing that I know can happen to each and every one of you, no matter where you are, no matter whether you ain't been walking in the gospel for ages. I don't know, but if you believe it and you know it's true, today is the day that you can examine yourself and you can stand before Him beating your breast and say, Lord, forgive me a sinner. Lord, lead me in Your way. Lord, I want to be Your disciple. Help me to be gospel-centered again. Help me to focus on You. Beautiful thing can happen today in your life. Next, the resurrection evidence in verses 5 through 11. <clears throat> Look what he says here in verse 5. Remember, he died, he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and then here's the evidence. You say, Pastor, how in the world can I know? Because resurrection from the dead, I mean, that's crazy to think about. It says here, listen, here's how you know. Because he appeared to Cephas. Now, a beautiful thing about this is most scholars believe that this was a creed. Most scholars believe that what Paul was doing was quoting a creed that had been handed down by the apostles. Now, this book of 1 Corinthians was written some 24-ish years after the death of Christ, but the apostle Paul actually came to know the Lord Jesus two to three years after the death of Jesus Christ. The apostles walked with Jesus while He was here. And so we got... A, a creed here, a statement of faith, if you will, of what they believe about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the creed here stated the evidence of it. Here's why we believe it. And the first reason we believe it is because He appeared to Cephas. This is Peter. You remember what Jesus told Peter? He said, Simon, Simon, son of Barjona, you are called Cephas but you shall be called Peter, which is translated as the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus looked at Peter while he was still a sinful mess, and he saw what he was going to make him to be. A rock of faith. A person that had absolute full assurance of Jesus Christ as His Lord and Savior. And one of the things that we can know that the resurrection is a fact, not a fairy tale, because that's what Paul says if you skip down with me to verse 20. Look at, look at the way Paul starts this off in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
This is not a fairy tale. This is a fact. And let me tell you, one of the evidences is Peter's restoration and his transformation. Now you remember, Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times, right? He cursed and swore that I do not know this blankety-blankety-blank man. And then the Gospels tell us that Jesus turned and looked at him. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And then Jesus died. Now you put yourself in Peter's shoes. Where are you going to be? Down in the dumps. Hiding. You're going to be as far away from God and as far away from Jesus as you have ever been. And so he went back to his old lifestyle as a fisherman. He was hiding from the Jews for fear of his own life. In other words, remember before this, before he was scared of death, before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He told Jesus, Jesus, even if everybody leaves you, I will never leave you. And Jesus said, Peter, Peter, before the cock crows three times in the morning, you'll deny that you even know me. And it happened exactly that way. And he's hiding, so he went from being Christ-centered. He thought he was gospel-centered. He thought he was Christ-centered. He went from that to being self-centered because he was scared of death, because he was scared of, of, of suffering. He was scared of anything happening to him. How do you go from that to where we see Peter next in the book of Acts? He's standing before the very Jews he was hiding from saying, you killed him. It was God's plan that you killed him. The Son of God. How do you do that? There ain't but one thing that can change that. And that is, he believed and got gospel-centered. Christ died for my sins, he was buried, and he rose from the dead, and he can give me new life too, so I'm not scared of death. I'm not worried about these Jews. I'm not worried about suffering in this life because he is who he says he is, and he is all that matters because nothing in this life matters anymore. It's all going back to the dust from which it came and it will all burn with fervent heat one day. And so the evidence of Peter's restoration and his transformation, and we see that he saw the resurrected Lord. There's no other way he did this. And then at the end, you remember I told you this several weeks ago when I preached about these disciples and their their ends. Peter ended up asking to be crucified on a cross upside down because he did not want, he didn't feel himself worthy to be crucified the way his Lord and Savior was. But he was not scared of it. All he had to do was recant his faith. All he had to do was say, I don't believe the gospel. And he could have lived. But how do you go from being a man that's scared of dying to a person that you suffer and gladly die for the gospel? He saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. Now let me tell you, if he didn't, if Jesus didn't appear to Peter, don't you think somewhere along the way when Peter's fixing to have to suffer and die that he would have been right back where he was in the garden and said, I don't know that man. (laughs) Hey, listen, they pulled out the cross and he's backing up going, hey, listen, it was just a joke. (laughs) It was just a joke. But no, he didn't do that. Instead, he pursued this thing all the way to the bitter end because Jesus was exactly who He said He was. Peter's transformation. Next, he says, and then after He appeared to Cephas, then He appeared to the twelve. And we see all of the apostles' restoration and transformation. They saw Him. They touched Him. They heard Him speak. They saw Him eat. All of them were hiding for their lives when Jesus appeared before them. And just like Peter... They didn't necessarily want to see him at that time. As a matter of fact, Thomas stepped up and Thomas said, listen, I'm not going to believe. Matter of fact, unless I touch his hands, unless I touch his feet, unless I see the scars, Thomas said this and I quote, I will never believe. And then the very next thing, Jesus steps in on the scene and says, hey Thomas, see my hands. See my feet. Put your hand in my side. 
And when he does it, Thomas hits his knees and he goes from saying, I will never believe to saying, my Lord and my God. And then goes to a bitter end just like Peter did. And all the disciples, some of them were flayed with a whip to death. You know what I mean when I say flayed, don't, don't you? Anybody in here ever flayed a fish? Some of them died with whips and their skin being flayed off of them. Do you think you're going to do that over a hoax? Are you going to go through that if, it, if this thing is not real? His own brother James was, was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple. His own brother. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but his brothers didn't believe in him before the death, burial, and resurrection. Matter of fact, the Scriptures, I think I may have wrote some of these down. Um, yeah, look with me at um, Acts, chapter 1, verse, um, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. I think this is one of them. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and who? His brothers are with Him here. This is after His resurrection. Now go with me to Mark chapter 3, verse 21. And when his family heard it, these are his brothers and his mother here, this is before the resurrection, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, this man's out of his mind. <laughs> Listen, this is our brother. He's not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. He's out of his mind. Y'all leave him alone. How do you go from being a brother that is ready to seize him, he's out of his mind, to being, I will be carried to the top of the temple and all I have to do is recant my faith in Him or I can be thrown down from this thing and smashed against the rocks. And you know what James said? Throw me. Throw me. How do you do that? Ain't but one way. He saw the Lord Jesus resurrected and it changed His entire life. Some other disciples uh, were were crucified on X-shaped cross. Some were boiled in basins of oil. Some were beheaded. But let me tell you something. Every one of them, save John, died a horrible, excruciating death. But John was boiled in a basin of oil and survived. And yet not one of them ever stopped and said, Guys, it was just a joke. It was a hoax. We just didn't want to, we didn't want to be ashamed and we didn't want people to think that nobody ever said that. They all gave everything to the gospel to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Why? How do you do that? Because he appeared to them. His resurrection was real. And so we see this today in our lives too. He he brings us new life. He, he gives us faith in Him and everything in us changes. And then finally go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> he says, verse 6, Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. In other words, Paul tells these Corinthians, listen, if you really are questioning the resurrection from the dead, then go back there over... If you don't believe Peter... If you don't believe me, if you don't believe the apostles, if you don't believe their eyewitness testimony, there's 500 other brethren around here that he appeared to. Many of them are still alive to this day, is what he said. Now again, it's been 24 years. So in 24 years, some of them have died. But many of that 500 are still alive. And you can go and talk to any of these, and they'll tell you. And you can find that story where, where they were at. Most people believe this took place in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, where Jesus appeared to these 500 people. But uh, we don't know that for certain. But still, Paul stated it as a fact and nobody questioned it. And so one of the things that we see in this is that there is sufficient evidence. The last thing he says in verse uh, 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. In other words, it was some time after Jesus had already ascended, two to three years actually. But Paul was on his way 
to persecute and kill Christians, which he had become very good at, had letters in his hand to go to Damascus. And you remember what happened? Jesus stopped him with a bright light and he said, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Now that is pretty important. Why? Because that right there lets you know that when you do something to one of Jesus' followers, y'all listen to me. You remember what Jesus told him whenever he, um, he was separating the sheep from the goats and He said, hey, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And they said, Lord, when did we ever see you these things and do this? And Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. In as much as you did it to the least of one of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Well, the same is true for evil too. And the Lord Jesus looked at the Apostle Paul and He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. And from that moment on, Paul was a transformed and a changed man. Now very quickly, I wish I had more time, but I don't. Here's what I want to be able to do. Think about what Paul had to lose by trusting in the resurrection of Jesus. Think about what he had to lose. Go with me to... Um, let me find it. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 11. Though I myself, this is Paul talking, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now he's talking about his Jewish standing, where he stood in his Jewish faith, all right? Paul said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, from the time I was born, I have been a follower of the law. I am of the people of Israel. I'm not an outsider that came in and became a Jew. I am born a Jew. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. And this was a very high status as well. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. This was the strictest and highest sect of all the Jewish religion. As to the zeal I have for God, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, in other words, as far as keeping the law of God, blameless. In other words, I kept it to a T. But, in another version, another scripture say, I was raised under the feet of Gamaliel, I believe is how you pronounce his name, the highest status. And so Paul had a status among the Jews of probably one of the greatest of the greatest. And yet, Look what he says next. And whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, Paul said, I gave up everything because of this gospel. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. <clears throat> and then look what he says next. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage, dung, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That, and look, I love this right here. Listen to this. That I may know Him. I counted all of this loss. When he heard the gospel, when Jesus appeared to him, he said, I counted it all loss just so that I may know Him and that I may know the power. Here's the reward. Here's what Paul traded all of that for. I want to know who this is. And I want to know the power of His resurrection. In other words, there is nothing in Paul's religion that could offer him the hope 
that the Lord Jesus Christ could offer him in the power of his resurrection. And also Paul understood and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. So think about this, and here's where I'll end. I got about two more pages of notes, but I'm not going to do that to y'all. Think about where, where Paul is. What does Paul have to lose? Everything. And as far as worldly things go, what does Paul have to gain? Suffering. Suffering. Death. Go read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 through chapter 12 and look at the sufferings that Paul endured in order to know Christ. Matter of fact, whenever the Lord Jesus was talking to Saul and then He talked to Ananias and He was going to send Saul to him, He said, I'm going to show him all the things that he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul gave up everything in this world and he accepted suffering just so that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection that by any means possible... Are y'all hearing this? Listen, you don't know the Gospel. You don't understand the Gospel until you can say with the Apostle Paul that I count all things lost so that by any means possible, whatever it takes, the only thing that matters is that I get to share in the power of His resurrection and that I may attain the resurrection from the dead because if you don't get this, what do you have? You remember what the Lord Jesus said? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? And so I close this morning. I don't even get to talk to you about the grace of God and what it does in our lives. But I close this morning just simply asking you this question. And y'all listen to me, guys. Listen, that, this ain't a sermon. This ain't a sermon. This is one Christian talking to another. This is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So listen closely. Have you seen the transformation of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Gospel in your life? Have you seen it? Do you see that you believe that you were a sinner under the wrath of God and yet you've heard the good news that Christ died for my sin? He was buried. And He was raised on the third day. And He is everything who He said He is. And He has the power to give me life. Therefore, I count all things lost that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And that's the hope that you and I have. Have you seen this transformation in your life? Can you examine yourself today and say, yes, I can test myself and I can see the Lord Jesus Christ in me. Or can you say this morning, I have heard the warning. I know that I need to respond to the warning. I want to repent of my sins and I want to stand in the gospel this morning. Whatever it is that the Lord has spoke to you from this word, this is your opportunity to have the hope and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it comes from believing in the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to me, one day, very soon, it may be today, you are going to face your greatest enemy, death. And then you are going to stand before God in judgment. And today, and if you were here last week, you have heard the gospel. And you will not be able to stand in front of Him and say, God, I didn't know. I didn't have a chance. No. You will have to look Him in the face and hear Him say to you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And all you can do is go to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity simply because you did not believe. Because if you had have believed, You'd have built an ark. 
and the ark is Christ. So today is the day of salvation. Paul said, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And so yeah, I'm up here trying to persuade you this morning. Be saved before it is too late. I'm not trying to get people to come up here so that I can be somebody. No, the truth of the matter is, I know that I know who I am. I know who I am. I'm simply trying to be faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the few people. And somebody in here may say, well, I don't want to come back to this church because that preacher preaches too long. Okay. I love you. But there's churches all over here. You don't have to come here. But I love you too much to worry about whether or not I kept you too long. I love you too much to have a message like this today and not give you a very good persuasion from my heart that guys, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of examination. Today is the day that you can stand in the gospel that you receive. Today is the day that you can have full assurance of hope knowing that you can count all things lost because your only care and concern is that you one day get to attain to the resurrection from the dead. He has life to give me. And I trust Him for it.